Well, this is strange. Usually this is how many people are in the first sermon, and then the second service is the full one. But because of that extra hour of sleep, everybody came early this morning. So that's, number one, that's weird. Number two, okay, you guys are getting your lecture right now, okay? You clap on one and three, okay? You don't clap on two and four. I don't know who did that. It's four, four time, one and three. But then you guys were like, do we clap? Do we not clap? And then I bet it was Ben. Were you doing two and four? You're fired. Get out of here. All right. Lectures out of the way. We're continuing in Matthew. We are in chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, we left in the middle of a sermon last week. We have to continue to keep this context. Jesus is speaking to the apostles. He's sending them out. He's going to be speaking to them about things they're going to see on this journey. They have a unique message. And we talked about how some of these things can be applied to us and some of these things are not applicable to us. And so we're going to continue right where he left off in that sermon. But before we do, I have a little primer for you. Get the mental juices going. I want you to imagine you're leaving for church this morning and you have young kids with you. Some of you do, some of you don't. And right as you get out the door, you see it. A beautiful little bird stiff as a board with its legs sticking up in the air everybody reacts differently your spouse is upset you got some one of the little kids is crying the other one of your little kids grabs a stick and starts poking at it Ooh! and everybody has a different reaction to it but ultimately you got to pick that thing up throw it in the trash and go about your way what is it there for what does it mean whose reaction was right i want you to keep those in the back of your mind as we go through this sermon, because we're going to come back to that a little bit later. But last week, the previous verses that Jesus left off, he told us that his message was going to divide families, that fathers would be against sons and daughters against their mothers. And he left it up with that strong language, and that's where we're keeping and where we're going this morning in verses 24 and 26. Chapter 10. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known." And I want us to keep this in its context because remember, the last verse, there was no seven-day gap from Sunday to Sunday as he's teaching this message. He just said that families are going to be divided and then he picks up in his next breath with no servant is greater than his master. This is important for a variety of reasons. God created family. He defends family. He teaches us the family role. He's the reason that we keep together and family unity and then yet he's telling us that families are going to be divided by his message and he tells us that we're to be like him now let's be like him let's look at what he did and how he acted in mark chapter 3 we know his own family thought that he was insane they weren't jumping uh, on board with him when he started proclaiming his message in mark 321 it says but when his own people heard about this they went out to lay hold of him for they said he is out of his mind Many of you, you became believers and your family thought you were crazy. And maybe there was some division there. 
But he continues here in this message by saying that when we go through life, not only is he telling the disciples and apostles what is going to happen to them, he's teaching us that we are to look to him, not just for the information, not just to learn what will happen, but how to handle it, what to do, what are, what's the reactions going to be. He says that I'm your, your master, your teacher, and you're the students, just be like me. So when his family is calling him crazy, how does he react? He still loves them and cherishes them. He protects them. For example, he's on the cross. He looks at John. He says, this is your mom. Take care of her. Family comes to him and says he's crazy. He doesn't say, get out of here, family. You're not my family anymore. But he continues to speak the truth and love. He continues to protect him. Now, to be clear, Jesus' mom always had faith in him. You remember at the wedding of Cana? And he goes to Jesus. He goes, can, can it be now? Can you start now? Can you start? Can you, tonight would be a really great night. You know, I'm kind of friends with the bride and the groom here. be really nice if you could hang out and, and make this happen today. Jesus says, that's not your call. But then he does perform his first miracle there at Cana. Are we looking to Jesus and how we handle these situations? And are we following him? Is it pleasing to him? We see these very difficult things that we're going to go through. He's just been telling them about not only the division in the family, but that they're going to be persecuted. They're going to have to immigrate from time to time. They're going to have to run away from different areas, if you remember in the previous verses. But he says, listen, all you got to do is exactly what I did. Just follow after me. And we see that as he continued to minister to his family, even though they didn't believe, after his resurrection, they do become believers. They follow along with mom. In Acts 1.14 it says, These all continued with, in, with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. And if you follow the book of Acts in the New Testament, you'll see that several of Jesus' half-brothers, because they're all his half-brothers, become leaders in the early church, even though they thought he was crazy during his earthly ministry. Are, and now the question then becomes, are you... Are you better than Jesus? Of course not. That's a silly rhetorical question. I mean, it's almost obnoxious that I would ask you that, right? Are you better than him? No, of course not. But when it comes to life and the deeper, the deeper things of life, what are you promised? See, Jesus is not making them promises here except for that they will be persecuted, except that things will be difficult, except that they're going to be rejected. Did Jesus promise you that you were going to have health? that you were going to be healthy, that you were going to have good health? No. Does Jesus promise you that you're going to be rich? No. In fact, what does that even mean? If you are the poorest person in the United States, you're in the top 10% of wealth in the world. What about comfort? How comfortable did God promise you that you were going to be as a Christian? Oh, I became a Christian. Everything's going to be great now. The, how much power did he promise you? Influence. And how much prestige, how much respect are you going to get as a Christian? How much did he promise you? Zip, zero, nada, no strings attached, just like him. We're to be followers of him, his disciples, like him. No servant is greater than a master. The master makes servants that are like him, and the servants imitate and become like the master. 
well, I don't want to leave you there with all these negative things. What did Jesus, our master, our teacher, what did he have that our promise is for us? He had peace. He had peace with God. And we have that peace through him. He had joy. He may not have comfort, but he always had joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's supposed to be divorced from our extenuating circumstances. He had contentment. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. And ultimately, he had true, deep love. Love for people, a love for God, the self-sacrificing love. All of us have access to those things through Jesus. All of us should be walking in those things. And none of us should be expecting health, wealth, riches, prosperity, power, because he didn't have any of those things in his earthly life. Now, he is... God, God in the flesh. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But he tells us not to be impressed with men, not to be intimidated men. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to criticize you. They're going to reject you just like they did me. And if I'm getting rejected, so are you. And he says, do not fear them. And we need to be like Paul the Apostle when Paul says to the Corinthians, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You know, we're called Christians. We're to be Christ-like. Now, it also means that people are supposed to be able to notice. You know, if Michael Jordan is my basketball mentor, I'm never going to be Michael Jordan just because he's teaching me. But you're going to see a change. You're going to see a difference. You're going to be able to notice, man, who's teaching that guy? Doesn't mean that I'm going to be an NBA star. And just because we're be, to be imitating Jesus doesn't mean we're going to be perfect or that we're going to be great or that we're going to even be able to tie his sandal strap, as John the Baptist says. But there should be a difference. They should be able to tell us. And I want to change the subject here seemingly for a little bit because what did it say there at the end of verse 26? It says, don't fear any man. But then it says, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. He's telling them the gospel. He's telling them on their mission, remember it's unique, tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The cross of Christ and grace is later. He's spreading the, no, the, the message that the Messiah is here. And it's open to everyone. And it is simple. But that simple message is going to divide and cause division. And what they don't know there is that this is very important in the first three centuries, you know, 1, 2, and 300 A.D., because they're going to be combating co something called the Gnostic heresy. Now, if, if you're a new believer and you're like, the what? This is, you don't need to know about this. But if you've been studying the Bible for a little bit, you need to understand some of these concepts. The Gnostics taught that they had a secret, hidden knowledge of Jesus, that they could explain what he was really like. And for five easy payments of fifty nine ninety nine. We joke, but you could buy into these levels. They would tell you what the secrets are, and they would reveal it to you. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. I'm sure they're still doing that kind of stuff today. But Jesus is telling the apostles and to the message, nothing is hidden. There's no secret knowledge. I'm telling you the truth. It's open for everyone. It's plain. I get really, really irritated. This is when I get my soapbox. When I, when I get this TikTok theology or this YouTube uh, theology where it's like, well, you know, if you, if you take the Bible in the original Greek 
and you use the uh, East Persian dialect and you change it to the, new, the Greek numbers, but use the Latin numbers in the Persian calendar, then you can decipher this chapter and it will tell you the day of the rapture. No one is going to listen to you. You've lost your mind. There is no secret knowledge. The last bit of secret knowledge was openly revealed when John the Revelator received the book of Revelation from God when he went up into heaven and received it from himself. After that, it's plainly open. Open. No more secret nonsense. And so don't get caught up in that. uh, Jesus, excuse me, he's teaching the apostles as he's sending them out. Don't fear man. Don't fear your family. You're going to love others. You need to be like me. You need to treat them like I do. And there's nothing covered, nothing that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. The message is is plain and simple. It's the light of the world. And so now let's continue a little bit. Verses 27 to 33. It says, he says, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach it on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is when we get back to our primer. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him also I will confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. I want to work backwards just a little bit. First of all, remember the context here. He is not saying that if any of you deny God, you're going to hell no matter what. If that were true, Peter would be condemned because he is going to uh, turn away from the Lord. He's going to say he never even knew him on the day of his crucifixion. And yet the Lord is going to restore and redeem him. So that's not what that means in its context. Remember, he's equipping them to go into a public ministry. But he is teaching them to fear God. And he has a primary purpose. But let's work backwards a little bit more here because we talked about this little sparrow, this little bird, and it's dead on your porch. Did you not hear what Jesus just said? Jesus killed the thing. It says that not a single one of them will fall apart from his will. That means that every single cell that is alive in the universe moves Because he says so. Every single atom in the galaxy and in the universe exists because he placed it there. That means that he is in control of everything absolutely all the time. Nothing happens without his permission or, yes, even his will. And he goes here and he says, these birds, how important they are. God makes them, he creates them, and yet you are so much more important than that. Not only that, that God has counted every hair on your head. In Proverbs, it says that. Here, it says not one falls without his permission. Now, let's take this and let's take it to places we don't want to go because that's where we need to go. That means that when people die, God wills it. Does he allow them to die? Does he make them die? What, what, what happens here? God 
is 100% sovereign. He sits in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Everything happens because he wills it to happen. That bird on your front doorstep is dead because he said so. He could make that thing come back to life and fly away. Instead, he makes me the bad guy to throw it away while the kids are crying. Put it in the trash. Now, side note, are human beings more important than animals? Because some people act like the human being is more important than the animal. I know people that will cry harder harder over their dog dying than they will over a hundred human beings dying. I think that's fascinating. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But let's get back to some of those difficult questions we were just talking about. So you're like, no, my God doesn't kill people. My God doesn't do that. My God doesn't allow bad things to happen. They just happen, and they just kind of, he pretends that he can't do anything about it. Now, before you get too upset with me, I am not a Calvinist. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. But in Luke 21, 18, Jesus tells us that not a hair of your head shall be lost without his permission. Everything happens because he says so. Period. What? what? Oh, let's use Isaiah 45, 7. He says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. I really don't like that. That is not nice. Bec- this is the point about our faith. These questions that we're asking, most people avoid them. They won't want to talk about them. But we have been having this discussion with God since he created Adam and Eve. And the answers are there. We have the answer. And Jesus is saying they're clear. They're open. They're not secret. He's telling all of us what these answers are. And we're going to talk about them a little bit. And I want you to know that when we're talking about Jesus, we're not saying that the Father's the bad guy and Jesus is the good guy. They are the same being, separate but equal, the triune God. Jesus himself created everything. The Father used him. And not only that, the Bible tells us that Jesus, it's through him that everything exists currently. In two of my favorite verses of all time, Colossians 1, 16 and 17, For by him all things were created, speaking of Jesus, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That's right. God made Satan. Why? I don't know. I have no idea. I personally believe that my brain couldn't even uh, understand the answer if he gave it to me. But that brings us back to our earlier question then. What is the value of our life? Why are we even alive? What makes a good life and what makes a bad life? What makes a life too short and what makes one healthy and long? Let's ask a couple of real deep questions. How much pain is too much pain? in a lifespan how much joy is the joy that we quote what deserve or earn what makes a life that is 33 weeks old or 33 years old 
or 99 years old worth whatever it's worth? Why do we even exist? Why are we alive? These are huge, very important questions. See, Jesus is sending these apostles on a mission. He is sending them with a purpose. He's telling them it's going to be difficult. He's telling them there's going to be opposition. It's not going to go the way they think it's going to go or want it to go, even though they're going to perform miracles. But what is the purpose of this? He just told us. It's because souls are going into hell every single day. Souls are going into an eternal lake of fire where there is weeping of gnashing of teeth day in and day out every single day. Everything else is secondary to that. But then that begs the earlier question. Does God kill people? Why does he cause bad things to happen? If everything exists, why does he let Satan do what he wants to do? Well, it's explained in Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. That man is in rebellion to God. Because I don't know what the answer is, but I do know this. We have free will. We are able to make our choices. And that as we sow, that shall we also reap. How do I know that? Because God sovereignly says so. Well, when does the sovereignty of God on the one hand and the free will of man, where is the line and where does it intersect? I have no idea where it is. Are you kidding me? I only know that because he tells me it's so. In the book of Joshua, when the nation of Israel is called, Come, choose this day whom you will serve, whether God or the God of the Amorites. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. I believe that is a legitimate question. He doesn't say, whoever God has picked to follow God, you guys come over here, and whoever God has picked to reject God, you go over there. No, that's not what it says. When it says, whosoever will, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that is an open question. Now, God knows, has predestined and elected every single person that chooses him, but he chooses those and elects those that choose him by their free will. Well, how can you know that? I only know that because God told me so. I don't have these answers. I don't know why he created Satan. I don't know why uh, some babies die, and I don't know why some people live to old age. I'd rather got rid of a couple of them. It's not my choice. He sits in the heavens and does whatever he pleases. I do know this. We are arbitrarily making our own rulers for what we think a good life is, a long life is, what we deserve, what we should get, who's a good person, who's a bad person. We're making our own rules. We are owed nothing, nothing. And the purpose of the Lord coming is to save souls. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I want us to know this. There are many questions that we are not going to know the answers to. And whenever I get to something I don't know, I stick to what Chuck Smith taught me in his commentary. Whenever I get to a place I don't know, I stick to what I do know. There is a creator and a God of the universe. He has revealed himself through the Bible. He died and rose again. And I know when I get to the areas of things I don't know about God that he is good, righteous, holy, trustworthy, and pure. And all those things are true. And so I'm going to lean on what I do know. 
And then I'm going to stick to Scripture to the open things that He's clearly revealed to every single one of us. Why do you exist? Because it pleases Him. Because He made you. He wanted you. Where you are, where you are right now, the way you are. He made you for that purpose. Well, what does God owe you past that? Does He owe you tomorrow? Does he owe you joy, comfort, riches, prestige, power? Remember what Jesus told them, no servant is greater than his master. Jesus didn't have a house to live in. He only had one pair of clothes. He was rejected by his own family. He was rejected by his own people, but many came. He was full of love and compassion and mercy. He had a deep relationship with God and a purpose, and he knew that he was going to bring mankind to salvation to whoever believes in him, and he was going to live for eternity in heaven. And that promise is the same for each and every one of us today. Stick to what you do know. But understand that these questions, they're not to be avoided. They should, you should be engaging in these questions with the Lord. We're going to talk about that in a little bit as we read verses 34 through 39 now. He says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me, he is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And we come full circle back to that discussion about the family and the separation, how it's going to be difficult. His message is divisive, but he is not the divider. And he's not the one that's causing this division. He is the one who's unifying and trying to reconcile. And so I said earlier, if you read Romans 1, 2, and 3, you'll see about how man is in rebellion to God. That God created us to walk with him in the coolness of the garden of the day, to fellowship with him, but it's through our rebellion that we fell and that man is worshiping the creature rather than the creator. You know, we know people in our lives that see that little bird and they are freaking out. They're worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And the Lord, he's interested in that. It's important. But your soul and your eternal destination, that is the priority over everything else. And this is important because the gospel, the church, Jesus, his message is not here to fix your personal problems. He did not come to this earth so you could have sound biblical financial advice. His message and the church is not even to bring peace to mankind. He's not here to establish com uh, dominions or countries. He's not here to preach about family values, and to save marriages. That is not why he's here. That's not why his gospel exists. That's not why we sent to the world. Even though all those things are true, and he does all those things, they are secondary to him coming and saving souls from eternity in everlasting flames. From everlasting to everlasting, the Bible says. And that is clearly defined in Romans, where it discusses where man's heart is. In the scripture, that tells us that we love darkness rather than light. But at the same time, he is the light of the world. He came here to reveal those things to save us, 
to change us. He didn't come to give us long, comfortable, healthy lives surrounded by friends and family. That is not the proof of God's love for you. The proof of God's love is that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Perish from what? Perish in hell. And that means that every day is a bonus. You see, he says here that to follow him is to pick up the cross and follow after him. As a follower of Christ, every day we live is a bonus day. See, they, they haven't even seen this. This is yet future for them. They're scratching their head like, carry the cross. What is he talking about? But we know that he will give up his life and that he will die an excruciating death to save us all. When he says to pick up the cross and follow after me, that doesn't mean, oh, okay, now you get a do-over for your life. That means you're dead. You're dead. Physically dead. You had an execution date, it was set, it came, and it went. Today, my friends, is a bonus day. I talked to you about all the things that we are not owed by the Lord. But as a Christian, we have joy and contentment, we have peace, we have joy, because every day that I personally have is a plus one. It's more than I deserve. No matter how painful, no matter how difficult, is it hard, did something tragic happen, it's a plus I'm happy. I'm excited. And then we can say what Paul said in the midst of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and the Greek. What else is there besides that? What else do you deserve? What are you looking for? If you came in here because you thought, I was somehow going to teach a sermon to handle your clinical depression or to make you a better person or that I was going to somehow give you comfort that all the bad things in your life are going to go away and you were going to skip out of here because you're happy. That ain't going to happen. Those things can happen if you have a personal life-changing experience with God and you walk with Him. And, but they're secondary. They're secondary to our salvation. Now, man is the problem, not God. That's clear. See, we, we were looking at all those things like, God, did you make this happen? Did you make that happen? Did you clear this? Did you do that? Yeah, no, there's nothing that moves without him. He's 100% sovereign. And he sovereignly chose to redeem mankind by faith alone through his son. And he has given us tremendous blessings. I will say it again. I do not know where his sovereignty ends and our free will begins, I don't think there is. I think it overlaps perfectly. I don't need to reconcile friends. He chooses everyone that chooses him. They are predestined and they are elected. I tell you this, why I'm not a Calvinist. There is nobody willing to be saved that is not. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And one last parting uh, shot. The Lord doesn't save people before they're actually saved. Like that, that's not a thing. I don't understand where that even came from in Scripture. But we have the brochures in the back, uh, Calvinism versus Arminianism. You can check that thing out. Anyway, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole. I, I, got, I did so good in the first sermon, so we're going to keep going. Verses 40 through 42. 
And he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. I, I want to leave you with good news, with good news as he closes out this sermon. Some people are going to receive this message. Like some people are going to change. How did you get the gospel? How did you receive it? Why are you here? And so even though there's a lot of opposition out there, and even though things are not always going to go well, even within your own family, some people are going to hear this message. And there's a reward. And the Lord is pleased. Remember, he's been telling us not to fear man. Don't be afraid of human governments. Don't be afraid of uh, what people think about you, even within your own family. Just live every day as a bonus. Give him your life. Pick up the cross. Follow after him. And then the littlest, smallest things that you do, he notices. And they have meaning. You know, giving a cup of water, taking care of somebody, answering the phone, having a text message. If he counts every hair that falls off your head, how much more is he following all the things that we're doing for him in our walk? He knows. He's sovereign. Just don't forget that it doesn't happen without him either. Because through him, all things exist and consist. Incredible. You live for his goodwill and pleasure. You'll live as long as he says you'll live. You'll be sick. You'll be healthy. You'll have joy. You'll have discomfort. You'll have heartache, and you'll have hearts full. All for his goodwill and pleasure. But I do know this. All things work together for the good for those that love him. That is our promise. Seek him and follow after him. Let's pray. Lord.